Hello, you're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. We're reading tonight uh, from Jeremiah 32, uh, reading together from the verse number 38. And the Word of God says, And they shall be my people, and I will be their God, and I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts, that they shall not depart from me. So last time we did uh, seek to show the central role that the fear of God plays in true religion, true piety, true obedience, true holiness, even true love. All of these things that are part and parcel of true religion, well, in many ways they, they all come into the subject of the fear of God. Uh, John Murray in his book Princes of Conduct has an, an essay on the fear of God and he defines the fear of God this way, the fear of God is the soul of godliness. Now as we make our way uh, through this we do have to take the time at this point to try and define our terms. Again, you'll see in the text we've read together tonight, although it's not going to be our study tonight, but you see in this text the fear of God is seen as being a positive thing. Now, look how he describes it here in the verse number 40, that God will not turn away from them to do them good. And in God doing good to his people, one of the ways in which he does good is putting his fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from the Lord. Now, we understand, of course, it is for our good not to depart from the Lord. It's for our good to have a close walk with God, to fellowship with God. That's a, that's a good thing for us as people here in these times. But how does God achieve that? Well, in part, he does it by sovereignly putting his fear into our hearts he gives us this one heart in verse number 39. That one heart, that one way, that again, that we may fear the Lord for our good. And so the, the fear of God really is, is part of God's goodness. That if we've come to fear the Lord, that's not a, a negative attitude. It's a positive thing. It has positive outcomes and it is indeed a sign of God's goodness toward us. But as we think about this concept, as it is revealed in the Bible, a very quick and a, a very cursory overview would see that the word fear is used in two ways. Again, let's, let's not narrow it down yet in terms of the fear of God. Just that the word fear itself is used in, in two, uh, two main ways. There is certainly the fear of terror or dread. The idea of being afraid. And there's also this, this fear that we might describe as being a fear of reverence or awe. Uh, really a fear of holding someone in esteem and honor. A, a fear of veneration, reverence, awe. 
And now those two separate ways in which the word fear is used. And then just, let's look at that very briefly. Turn to the 105th Psalm. Psalm 105, and you'll see there the, the, the Bible usage of the word fear with respect to terror, with respect to dread. And again, it's a description of the Old Testament history of the people of God in and around the time of the Exodus. And you'll see in verse number 36, uh, regarding God's dealing with Egypt and the plagues, he smote also all the firstborn in their land, the chief of all their strength. He brought them forth also as silver and gold, and there was not one field person among their tribes. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them fell upon them. And so they, they had got to a point in the plagues that the people of Egypt were terrified of the presence of the people of God. You think even of the same in the New Testament, the angels, or what happens, or the angels, they come, they come to the shepherds, the angel of the Lord came upon them, the glory of God shone round about them, and what was their response? They were sore afraid. And that's a fear of terror. But of course, also in the Bible, there is this fear of reverence. A reverent fear. Again, without getting into the fear of God, turn back to Leviticus chapter 19. In the verse number 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. Ye shall fear every man his mother and his father, and keep my Sabbaths. Now, clearly there, the idea of fear in verse number 3, fearing father and mother, ought not to be understood as a terror or a dread. It is an evil and a wicked father that provokes terror in the heart of their children. It can happen through the fall, but that's not what the Lord is seeking to encourage in the people of God. He's encouraging the people to practice true honor. Honor your father and your mother. And so this fear is equivalent to honor. It denotes reverence. It denotes esteem. It's not a fear that would cause a child to flee from their parents, but rather a fear that caused the child to even submit and to honor and obey and even to love their parents. And so immediately you see, without even going into detail, you, you see that there is a fear that causes you to, to flee or to fight. You've got your choice. You've a lion on the street. You've got fear in your soul. You're either going to flee or you're going to fight. That's the response we have in terms of terror or dread. But there's also this fear that is a reverence that causes interest, even a desire to know more. A desire to obey or to submit. Of course, in your own history, uh, there's one particular figure who's often looked upon as a man of great esteem and worthy of uh, a proper fear. It is, of course, uh, George Washington. And you read the accounts again of some of the, the troops as Washington would, would walk around uh, the camp, even in Valley Forge here. And again, those who were camping in those times, as he would approach, there was a desire to behave differently. But not to run from him, but to know more about him. It's a human response of reverence for someone they held in great esteem. Now the question is then, do we see those two sorts of fear with respect to the Lord? 
Is it just in human relationships that we see these fears? Or in living in a fallen, dangerous world? Or do we see these two sorts of fear with respect to the Lord? Now, you folks are, uh, again, well informed in these things, and you will immediately say, well, yes, of course. We have this fear of the Lord that is a reverential fear, a fear of awe, what we often term a filial fear, the fear of sons. But tonight I want to explore the thought that the Bible does also at times present to us a fear of God that involves a terror and a dread of God. And that also should not be ignored. Now we will spend all, pretty much all the rest of the weeks looking at the fear of God in terms of reverence and awe and veneration of God. But tonight I do want to take time to think about this issue of having a proper dread and terror of the Lord. And so let's think of this, first of all, biblically considered. A terror towards God that is biblically considered. Turn back, of course, to Genesis chapter 3. This is the first instance of a description in the Bible of someone being described and describing himself as having a terror and a fear of God is Genesis chapter 3 verse number 10 and it's in response to God's question to Adam where art thou now you all know the context here the context of course is of the fall Eve has been deceived she's given her husband the fruit he's taken the fruit their eyes are opened and what does Adam say Verse 10, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And so we see Adam here as experiencing a sense of guilt in the presence of God, a recognition of shame in the Lord's presence. He understands, and he he has disobeyed the will of God. And he's succumbed now to this sensation of proper fear. I was afraid. Now, it's worth noting that even in his unfallen state, it was appropriate for Adam to have a sense of the fear of God. God, in again presenting the prohibition regarding not eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, presents it in terms of a warning. The day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God presents to unfallen man consequences from rebellion so that even his actions in an unfallen state will be controlled by some fear of the consequence of sin. But leaving that aside, we're seeing here in chapter 3, verse number 10, a proper response to having rebelled against God. We could ask the question this way. Is it right to fear God in this sense of terror? Well, again, John Murray has put it so beautifully when he says this. It is the essence of impiety not to be afraid of God when there is reason to be afraid of God. It's not commendable not to fear God when there's an abundance of reason to fear God. Adam has sinned. He's encountered spiritual separation from God. But even in that, he still knows that it's right and proper to fear God. But you turn across now to Psalm 119. Again, we're considering this terror towards God and a, a biblical consideration of this. The Psalm 119. 
Of course, this psalm dealing with the issue of obedience and the law of the Lord. You have a section there, the psalmic section there, verse 113 and following, where the psalmist reflects, uh, perhaps with a more concentrated focus on evildoers. Verse 115, depart from me, ye evildoers. And then verse 118, thou hast trodden down all them that err from thy statutes, for their deceit is falsehood. Verse 119, thou puttest away all the wicked of the earth like dross, therefore I love thy testimonies. He's, he's considering what happens to those who like Adam rebel against the Lord. And without forgiveness, they find themselves being put away like dross from the earth. And how does he respond? As he considers, again, God's judgment of the wicked, he responds this way, verse 120. My flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. Now, again, I don't believe this is a description of reverence and awe. I'm not suggesting these are, again, these things are, are related and uh, they do connect, of course. But certainly here, the idea of trembling and being afraid, again, those things coming together denotes, again, within the godly person, an awareness of seeking to avoid the wrath of God for sin. It's a proper response to a reflection on the wrath of God. And we have here, a, if you like, the natural sense of what it is when we understand our sin and the being of the Lord. But one other portion in light of this sort of biblical consideration of the fear of God is, is Luke chapter 12. As the Lord deals with the disciples, verse number 4, And I say unto you, my friends, Be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. Now, what sort of fear is that? Don't fear those that can kill the bodies. Is that not the fear of terror and dread? Don't be terrified of those who can kill your body. That's a a natural response, but you you shouldn't be afraid of them. But rather, verse number 5, But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Again, I think the fear in view in verse number four at least includes an aspect of the terror of God. It's contrasted. Verse four and five, they're contrasted. Don't be afraid. Don't dread those that can kill the body, but rather be afraid and have a proper terror to God who can cast you into hell. The Lord is speaking to his friends here. He's saying to his friends, I say unto you, my friends. He's speaking to the disciples, those who have come to know the Lord. And so is it right and proper to have a due terror of God? Well, of course it is. But I don't want to assume an answer to the next question. I've already hinted in the right direction, but I may ask the question, is it right for the believer to have this terror of God as part of their experience of God. We sang the hymn deliberately tonight. The terrors of law and of God with me can have nothing to do. So is it the case that we've nothing of the terror of God in our experience now as the people of God? Well, 
And I would suggest, yes, terror before God is a correct response in those who are not converted. Romans chapter 3, verse 18, mark of depravity is the fact that there is no fear of God before their eyes. The brokenness of sin has rendered the unconverted incapable of having this proper fear of God. This set up by people who ought to fear the litany of their sins and their guilt before God. There ought to be that fear. God is all-seeing, perfectly just. He promises judgment and wrath upon the wicked. Mankind is wicked and rebellious. Even in Romans 1 that says that they know the judgment of God, that those which commit such things are worthy of death. They, they know that. And yet they don't respond in terror of God. Oh, they will do one day. Revelation chapter 6, the wrath of the Lamb comes and they, they call upon the mountains to hide them from the face of him that sitteth upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. There's terror in that day. But of course, if that is the right response in the final day, that should be the response now. And there should be that terror of God in those who do not know the gospel. But I think the Bible also tells us that the terror of God, biblically considered, is also a control even in the life of the righteous. Now here we've got to be so very cautious. And I want you please to listen carefully and try uh, to keep this in a proper perspective. There is therefore now no condemnation. But what a blessing that is. We are not in bondage to the fear of condemnation. We have no need to be in bondage to such fear. Christ has paid it all. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. The child of God has no fear of the wrath of God. We, we have this reverence for God, this filial fear. That is the central driving attitude. But I don't believe terror is altogether absent. And it shouldn't be altogether absent. Again, I've shown you already. Look at Luke chapter 12 once more. We're in this text. Luke chapter 12 in the verse number 4 and 5. It is the Lord who says to his friends to fear the Lord who can cast the body and soul into hell. They're to fear God. They have a proper terror of God. Now, what's the, what's the logic here? Well, if they are terrified of man and the wrath of man, and the persecution that man may bring, if they're terrified of God in that way, they may forsake the Lord to save their lives. And in forsaking the Lord to save their lives, they may lose their soul. It's a warning against apostasy. And the warnings against apostasy in the Bible are given to true believers. They're presented to true believers. Now, we understand that a true believer cannot fall away from the faith. But in the gospel, in the Lord's teaching, and in the epistles, there are warnings against apostasy given to the visible church. In the recognition that within the visible church, there are those who are not true. And so, within that company, indiscriminately, 
the Lord encourages us not to forget the realities of hell. And the judgment will come upon those who fall into unbelief. You think of Romans, turn to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, the verse number 20. You'll see this explained here in terms, again, of the, uh, the Gentiles. Uh, they may become puffed up. God's grafted them into the covenant. Uh, the, the Jews, they were, they were cut off through unbelief. But what, what might happen? Well, verse number 20. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. <coughs> Fear that you, if you fall into the same unbelief, you may also be cut off. You may not know the joy of the eternal presence of the Lord. It's a warning to the visible church regarding apostasy. The same occurs, and I'm not going to go through all the passages, but the same occurs in Hebrews chapter 4. Again, using the unbelief of the people in the wilderness, the apostle says to them, Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Again, to the church, tempted to backslide, tempted to apostatize, do not forget the consequence of turning away from the Lord. If you forsake the Lord, if you're ashamed of the Lord, he'll be ashamed of you in that day. These are the warnings of the Bible. And it's not a case that the writers are the Lord says, well, this is not true for you. You shouldn't think this. This is only true for a Judas in your midst. It's only true, again, for the hypocrite in your midst. It is, that's the case. That is true theologically. But in terms of our experience, it is right and proper that we live in the terror of God's coming wrath. That having fled from the wrath of God... We are not tempted to give up on Christ. We are determined to flee from the wrath of God, not just when we first came to Christ, but every day we're going to flee from the wrath of God. It's the things we close tonight in applying this. We ought to pray for the terror of God in the unconverted. When the unconverted do not have a terror of God, that lack is fearful. When people have no time for God and they're accumulating sin against God every day and they are piling up that sin against the day of God's wrath and they have no fear of God, that's a terrifying reality. We should pray for the Spirit of God to open up the hearts of unbelievers, those that we know and love, that they would come to have a proper view of God, His holiness, His justice, His wrath, that they would then come to fear God in terms of terror and then run to Christ and delight in his mercy. We need to make sure that we use our own accurate knowledge of God to motivate proper evangelism. You know, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he had done, whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore what? The terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Having the right understanding of who God is and how God views sin, it drives us, it motivates us. We know God, therefore we go. We persuade men, knowing the terror of the Lord. And that's not a knowledge that's academic and outside of ourselves. It's a knowledge of the terror of God within our very souls. 
And so in the enjoyment of our assurance, do not succumb to spiritual carelessness. Delight in assurance. Delight in the knowledge of God. Delight in the no condemnation. But do not cut out those portions in the Bible that warn you about the danger of falling into backsliding and into apostasy. There's an aspect of proper dread in the child of God that they fear falling into unbelief. They fear falling back into the wrath of God. They want to walk with Jesus. Oh, we've got to be so careful. Apostasy can slip upon us. I'm not talking about a final catastrophic apostasy, but a time of departing from the Lord. We can justify spiritual lethargy. We can become cold in our hearts and we can say, well, that's, that's all of God's people. I'm no different than the rest. And we can justify spiritual coldness. And we do it one day and then the next day. And before we know it, a year has passed and we're away from the Lord. We've gone so cold. We've fallen back. We've ended up in Bypath Meadow, Giant Despair and Downing Castle. We've got to watch rationalizing sinful conduct. We're so quick to excuse ourselves. Oh, we have that, just that small thing, that, that quick glance at a website, that, that quick word of gossip, that, that, that quick piece of anger to a spouse, and we, we justify ourselves. We rationalize our sinful conduct so quickly. Let us therefore fear. Have a proper fear of the terror of God. Delight, yes, delight in the assurance of Christ's work. But don't forget where you came from. Don't forget the nature of sin against the holy God and use that to enable you to walk with the Lord each and every day. This is a complex, challenging pathway to walk. Again, we certainly find in a lot of modern works on the fear of God, there is a desire to ignore this idea of terror altogether. That's only for the Old Testament or that's only, that's only for the unbeliever. Oh yes, it is for the unbeliever. But we once were unbelievers and we don't want to go back there. Therefore, we know the terror of the Lord. And it does, to a small extent, it does help to control and govern our attitude before God. Yes, the main thing, the central thing is that fear that is reverential, a fear of all veneration, honor, and esteem. But let's not ignore this other aspect altogether. If we do so, it will be for our spiritual harm. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.